Kia ora and welcome to 15 Minute Futures, the podcast with a Kiwi twist, where we explore the future in bite size. Today we'll be exploring artificial intelligence and we'll ask the question, can a computer ever really be intelligent in the way a human can? Hi Rob, how are you today? I'm great, thanks Steve. Hi everyone. So question Steve, are you feeling artificially intelligent today? Well, I'm not sure about that, but, but it is a good thing that you ask, because what's cool about the whole new AI trend is that it's forcing us to be more precise about what we actually mean by intelligence. Totally. So maybe we should start with a good, simple definition. So how would you define it, Steve? Well, AI is basically about creating machines that reason, work, and react intelligently. But then, of course, you have to define intelligence, which is more complicated. Uh, experts in the field make a distinction between two types, narrow and general artificial intelligence. Narrow AI is where we get a machine to perform a single narrow task like playing chess or you know, your smartphone or a self-driving car. So you're probably never going to confuse narrow AI with being a real human being. By contrast, general AI is where we create machines that can actually think, feel, and respond across a wide range of areas, just like a human. Though, of course, it's debatable whether humans always think intelligently. Yeah, great point, Steve. Okay, so my understanding is that we're seeing many new forms of narrow AI popping up, but not so much general artificial intelligence. That's right. And the thing about narrow AI is that when it's really well designed, we tend not to notice it. If you think about it, you can probably list lots of examples where it's already in your life, from Google searches to self-check machines at the supermarket to Amazon and Netflix. In fact, it's increasingly rare not to have some form of narrow AI in most areas of our lives already. Yeah, that's true. One interesting example was last year, Air New Zealand introduced Oscar, its AI-enabled chatbot, which helps you through all kinds of airline queries. That's pretty cool. Uh, it's so funny how people automatically focus on the negatives of new technology like this. You know, the first time you talk about it, everyone says, oh, the Terminator or oh, AI is going to be taking our jobs. Well, that's true, isn't it? Well, sort of, but I'm not convinced that AI won't eventually actually enable more jobs than it destroys. Though, of course, we'll have to go through a transition, which can be hard. A lot of that depends on whether governments smooth away or just kind of let the market rip. Also, I can think of a lot of jobs that humans actually shouldn't have to do and will never be well paid for. Things like agricultural work, like picking fruit and veggies, driving long distances, logistics, washing dishes, pretty much all my summer jobs come to mind. And, you know, if you take Air New Zealand's customer service bot, it just makes sense. We all expect our questions to be answered and most of them will be pretty much the same questions. But what human wants the job of actually having to answer all those questions? It's a perfect example where you get a useful chatbot in action. Yeah, that's good call, Steve. I mean, just take the driving jobs for a minute. Humans are not particularly well designed to do lots of kind of meaningful, repetitive jobs, and particularly driving. I mean, we're so easily distracted by kids, our favorite song on the radio, um, a, a tweet that comes in. We're basically begging to have a crash. And AI, by contrast, is designed to be purely focused on keeping the car on the road while avoiding obstacles. And unlike humans, once you get the design right, it's right for all cars without having to train every new teenage driver. I mean, there's got to be upside to that. Totally. For example, I knew a guy who used to cut pine logs for a living. He now programs and maintains the computer system that does it. 
Not only does this mean he's not actually holding the dangerous saws in his hands anymore, but his personal productivity has skyrocketed because instead of holding a single saw, now he can run multiple saws at the same time from his computer. Okay, so it seems that in the future, the race is going to be on to find ways for humans and AI to work together to produce more and make the most of what each is good at. Also, in a world of big data, we simply don't have enough humans to make sense of it all and create value out of it without partnership with machines. It's just too much. Uh, and we're just not really well set up to do that kind of work as humans. It's, it's kind of like going from individual miners panning for gold in a river versus a big gold mining operation extracting value. But what are humans actually good at, Steve? I mean, for a start, machines can perform more and more automatable tasks, but plenty of tasks aren't actually automatable yet. You know, for example, we're beginning to see examples of robot creativity, or at least what people call that, and things like art and music. But it's still basically humans behind it all. And more fundamentally, AI can do things, but it can't tell us which things are actually worth doing. So things around what humans actually value and our ethics, they're still strictly human domains. And in the future, we might end up with AI teaching us things. Um, but if you think of your favorite teacher, it probably wasn't the excellent teaching of the curriculum that stuck in your mind. It was their uniqueness as a human and their characteristics like enthusiasm, kindness, and actual concern for you as another human being. So I reckon it'll be a while before machines can kind of mimic or really convincingly do that stuff. Good call. I think that we're a long way off creating machines that are actually conscious by the way that you and I would understand that term. And although people are currently working on a general artificial intelligence, estimates around when it will arrive vary wildly, anything from a decade to 100 years away. One type of AI called machine learning seems really scary because it really does learn stuff pretty fast. And it's, it's impressive when these machines end up beating world champions in a game like chess or a game show like Jeopardy. But the applications are still pretty narrow. I mean, that's great if, if you're earning a living playing those games professionally, but they're still focused on basically single tasks. And it's probably a good thing given how much we have to work through implications of even narrow AI for now. I mean, questions like whether a self-driving car in the face of an impending crash should kill passengers or a pedestrian are proving pretty controversial. Yeah, they've got a, a name for that sort of philosophical challenge, don't they? What is it again? I think it's the trolley problem. Yeah, famously difficult to answer. And, and it's certainly an ethical question I wouldn't want to have to answer. But I guess the designers of all these new AI-enabled robots and machines are actually having to make practical choices now that require them to answer these philosophical questions. That's right. And on one level, this tech is great because it makes our lives easier in so many ways. I'm sure pilots love the fact that autopilot exists. But it can also be quite insidious because we end up uh, entrusting a whole lot of decisions and systems like the stock market to AIs, which are really just a bunch of code developed by someone we don't know in a place we can't see. I mean, we can see trouble that makers of self-driving cars are having in designing systems that try to accommodate the chaos of real life roads. So we'll need human intelligence for a while yet, it seems. Yeah, it's, it certainly seems a real challenge uh, to get machines to cope with the real world. And even more of a challenge seems to be to get them not just to reflect all of the biases that humans already have. I hear there are plenty of examples where we're already implicitly building in and even amplifying our racial and gender prejudice into our AI systems, for example. One of the systems I came across was something called Compass, 
which is being used to predict which criminals are most likely to reoffend. Um, and this system started out well, but then black people came out labelled as almost twice as likely to reoffend. And, and you kind of got to wonder what that's doing uh, for society with those kinds of assessments. Yeah, that's worrying, all right. And of course, you have AI programs, so-called bots, on the internet linked to Russian meddling with the 2016 US elections. I understand more than 50,000 Twitter accounts were eventually identified as being used to service and post automated messages intended to give Trump an edge over, over Clinton. I guess what we're really learning through all of this is that it's just really dangerous to set and forget when it comes to artificial intelligence. What do you see as the implications for New Zealand in this though, Rob? Well, partly we need government and business to work together to make sure that AI-enabled systems are actually improving lives and uh, without too many unintended side effects. There will be risks around innovation, but we've got to just be really intentional about where we take those risks. And I see we're getting more and more New Zealand conferences and groups on AI springing up. So people are talking about this change seriously now, which is great. And obviously, countries like US and China are well down the road in having these conversations. On the AI taking our jobs front, I think we can expect AI-enabled systems like Uber and Airbnb to keep appearing and disrupting traditional industries. If I were in real estate right now, um, I'd be worried, for example. But in some ways, New Zealand's key industries like agriculture and tourism are likely to be reasonably well protected because they do involve real world rather than the digital world. So that's, that's comforting and in part. Yeah, that's right. But we shouldn't forget that the distinction between the digital and real worlds is also getting eroded over time. I mean, we talked last week about, you know, artificial reality and virtual reality and, and also introducing more computer enabled systems of robots. So we're seeing these worlds increasingly merging. Uh, just an example I came across here in New Zealand, you know, I understand there's a collaboration between the universities of Auckland and Waikato and plant and food robotics. Um, and, and they're already trialing robots for both picking kiwifruit and grapes. I mean, that's bringing AI into the real world. There are good reasons for doing that. It's really increasing the efficiency by which we do our usual work. Yeah, that's really interesting, Steve. So what we're talking about here is convergence. That is between the virtual world and the real world, which makes AI even more ubiquitous. That's exactly right. And what we're going to see is parallel improvements in AI, robotics, and virtual reality, with each making the other better, more relevant, and eventually everywhere in our lives. Okay, Steve. So on balance, do you see the rise of AI as a good or a bad thing? And if you could name three things that New Zealand businesses and policymakers should be thinking about right now, what would they be? Well, I'm actually optimistic about this. I'm convinced that in the long term, narrow AI will make us much better off by taking away a lot of those boring and repetitive jobs like I did as a student. I totally love my dishwasher and Netflix, so what's not to like? But from a broader societal perspective, we've got some pretty big challenges to manage the transition, I think. To answer your question about the three big things, I think we really need to think hard about how we upskill those in repetitive or automatable jobs and how to actually help them get into AI-enabled versions of their jobs that enable them to be more productive, like my mate who was a sawmiller and now runs the computer programs instead. Secondly, from an economy point of view, there's a big question around how we actually power up many of our existing industries using AI and robotics to get them to stay internationally competitive, because if people are doing this overseas, they're certainly going to be more competitive than us if we don't. And that includes everything from baristas to cow farmers to lawyers, in my view. And thirdly, you know, obviously, this has big implications for equity and social well-being. So we 
urgently need to design a way of thinking about the value of work and how we tax it. And let's talk more about that in our next episode on the future of work. But what about you, Rob? What would be your top three suggestions for dealing with an AI-filled world? Well, well, since you've gone society and economy, maybe I can look at the individual. Three things top of mind for me is, firstly, we've got a huge challenge ahead of us as a country to ensure the next generation is prepared, since we're going to need to educate them in a world where the jobs that they might be doing don't exist yet. So there's a bit of uncertainty to navigate there. Secondly, if you're a person working in a highly automatable industry right now, don't wait. Get out of it or start thinking about how you might get on the right side of change by building up different skills and capabilities. And and we'll be talking a bit more about this stuff in our next episode on the future of work. And finally, if you're freaked out by all of this, but working in a white collar job, well, I think you should relax a little bit. Despite the hype, over the next 10 years, it's much more likely you'll be working alongside robots than actually a robot taking your job or your desk. Nice one, Rob. Very encouraging. But of course, it's not just about us. We want to hear from our listeners. And today's question is, looking ahead, are you more optimistic or pessimistic about the impact of AI and why? Go to our website, 50minutefutures.org, or our LinkedIn page of the same name to have your say. Thanks, Steve. And that's our 15 minutes nearly up for today. But I'd like to finish by thanking our sponsors, Springload for digital products that catapult your business to the next level, and anticipate.co.nz, the company that helps you look ahead, plan ahead, and get ahead. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Rob. Hey, Cornetta.